This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and all the things with me, Adam Smith. Our first episode of the Get Uncomfortable podcast was all about a topic that millions of Americans know all too well, student loan debt. It is estimated that America's student loan debt has surpassed 1.7 trillion, with over 90% of that being debt owed in federal loans, debt of the people owed to the people. We also know that Black college graduates owe an average of $25,000 more in student loan debt than white college graduates, and that a disproportionate amount of America's student loan debt falls on Black folks and other people of color. Your boy was, and I underscore was, one of those folks until a letter came in the mail canceling my student loans and what I call a whiff of the sweet smell of justice after a lifetime dedicated to service. And I'm not alone. I've seen social media posts from friends and colleagues throughout the nation chronicling their own justice moments, and I'm hoping there are many, many more to come. In this episode of Get Uncomfortable, we're talking again to Janae Adams. We're talking about all things student loan debt, from public service loan forgiveness to the skyrocketing cost of higher education, as well as her best financial tips for 2024. Janae is an international speaker, author, and CEO of EMAC Consulting and the owner of Debt Sucks University. Janae, it's great to have you back. Welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm glad to be back. Well, and I wanted to get into this student loan thing because you were involved in my story, right? Because I, like many Black folks, I didn't, I, I always think somebody going to get me. Right. Oh, this can't be real. So for all who don't know, I get an email that looks like it's coming from the Fed. And it basically says your your loans are being canceled and forgiven. And I'm like, yeah, right. And so I just I sent it to Janae kind of like as a is this real? I sent it. I also sent it to my accountant, who's a black woman, and had her look at it. And they both of y'all looked at it. And then I get this letter in the mail. And I scan the letter and send it to you as quickly as possible, right? To try to figure out, is this real? And after calling Modella, who is my loan servicer for the Fed, they, and like any other person of color, I didn't, I didn't call and tell them all my business. I just called and said, um, I'm wondering what my balance is. Well, sir, um, right now your balance is zero. Okay. And my wife said afterwards, she was like, but you didn't ask them why? No, I didn't say nothing else. I was just like, okay, bye. So can you explain what this cancellation forgiveness, what is happening in this wave of forgiveness of student loans? Definitely. So since the Biden administration has come into office, they have made it their mission to correct all wrongs when it comes to student loan forgiveness. So what do you what you're seeing right now is that many people who have fulfilled their obligations in public sector loan forgiveness, that's just one example, 
And they did not get their forgiveness like they were supposed to in the last administration. And now they have been trying to correct it ever since they, they got into office. So you will see people who have done their 10 years in public service and now they're getting their student loans forgiven. Um, it actually started in 2007. So the first 10 year was supposed to be 2017 and only 1% of people received their student loan forgiveness. So when the Biden administration got into office, they were like, this is ridiculous. We have all these people who are teachers, who are professors, who are firemen, who are working you know, in the armed forces, and they're not getting their forgiveness. So we're going to correct that. And that's what you've been seeing over the last few years. And now the latest wave, the one you're talking about, tends to be on the, the um, income-driven repayment program. So they're, they're, it could be people who have outside of, you know, not, I mean, a public sector, they have paid 20 to 25 years of payments. And now they're getting everything adjusted and getting their student loans forgiven. Which is, I mean, I, I was talking to a friend about this and I said, you know, Janae, you know, my background in pastoral ministry and theology. So I, I had this feeling of well done, thy good and faithful servant. When I got the letter, it wasn't even about the money because yeah. I wasn't finna pay that. I mean, it just wasn't gonna happen. Okay, yeah. I've been serving the people of this country since I was in the first American cohort in 1994. So, no, I'm good. But it just felt like I was seen. Does that make sense? I felt, yeah. and and I was talking to Tim. Uh, and Tim and I have recorded on this podcast before, and he's a pastor. And he said, you know what that is? That's the whiff of justice. Mm, and it yeah. feels like justice. I said, is that what justice smells like and feels like? Because there's so many of us and we know, right, that the average Black person in this country owes 25 grand more in loans than yeah. non-people of color. And so many of us have dedicated our lives to yeah. the ministry, whatever that looks like for us, formal, informal, all the things. And then to have justice never come, because yeah. we've done everything that America told us to do. Most of us are first gen ourselves, right? Nobody helped us go to college. We took out the loans because we had no choice and we're carrying families. And then to have justice visit us and yeah. have it be so unfamiliar that we don't even know how to name it and call it was something for me that it took really some pastoral consultation with Tim to be like, that's justice. Yeah. And when he said it, I was like, oh, dang, because the letter, it, it literally says from the Biden administration, because of your service and all of the things, I was like, I thought I had to pay. The rules were like, you have to pay consecutively. They, they Initially, when it was set up, it was almost impossible. Like you yeah. couldn't miss a payment for 10 years or something. Yeah. Tell us about how that changed. Yeah. So the, because of the ill ill doings of student loan companies <laughs> so these mm. third party companies that they have been doing you know forever but definitely since 2007 when this was implemented for the public sector loan forgiveness they the Biden administration decided to make some adjustments and so they were saying that it you know if you had missed some payments if you had overpaid and they didn't count it or you underpaid by one cent and they didn't count it. It was a lot of bad things going on. And so they were like, we have to fix this. So we're going to make some adjustments. We're going to make sure that people can 
you know, re, you know, consolidate their loan into a direct loan. They were they were doing everything. They've been doing everything during this administration to fix this stuff. And so people who are thinking about the other student loan forgiveness that was denied by the Supreme Court, they have no idea how much work was done and it's still being done to fix all the wrong wrongs of the past. So they have, you know, if you were in forbearance or deferment, that's what the income driven repayment, they're fixing that. They're, they're adding that to your, your balance, you know, the three years that there was no student loan payments or interest, they added that to public sector loan forgiveness. That if, if people could just look at the list of things that have been going on to get this student loan forgiveness to people um, that's in the hundreds of billions now, they will be absolutely amazed. Well, and it seems that there was such a high profile um, rollout of the certain amount. And then if you took Pell, it was 50,025. Yeah. And then that got the Supreme Court again, stopped that, right? But then all of this has happened kind of what I would call in the cut. Now, hundreds of billions isn't in the cut, but it almost seems that it had to happen this way so that the political teeth wouldn't sink into it because we have this idea of if you're forgiven and I'm not, or because I paid, you should have to pay. And so people immediately start being cave dwellers against everything that any other citizen would have, rather than realizing this benefit to everybody. One of the questions I had for you is, so now that we're seeing this with the Biden administration, how can others benefit? There's people still with loans out there. I would love if we, and you and I have talked, it isn't just about getting rid of student loans because we sit on campuses that cost huge amounts of money. And so that's in there too. But how can others benefit from some of the programs and some of the sweeping work that the administration is currently doing? Yeah, you, you definitely have a lot of different programs. Um, you have the the one that is the uh, borrowed defense program. So if you went to a for-profit college, which I advise people not to do, and it closed down on you or you feel that you did not get the you know the benefit of graduating from there then you can go for student loan forgiveness through borrowed defense that is a whole different application student loan forgiveness but those that have total and permanent disability many of my people who are in the armed forces and so forth and then even people just who have total and permanent disability there's student loan forgiveness for you as well and then there is the new save program which is a basically a new income driven repayment program it is by far the most advantageous right now for income driven repayment. The issue is, is that these student loan companies, once again, <laughs> are not rolling it out correctly. They're saying the wrong amounts that you have. So you may, you know, you may want to be patient with that one. Talk to the Department of Education more than your student loan company or when you're trying to get into that SAVE program, but it is by far the most advantageous uh uh, income-driven repayment program that is out there, the SAVE, so S-A-V-E. But those are definitely your options right now. And we won't get too premature for the next uh, Biden student loan forgiveness. They are trying to do it again. It will be for a smaller number of people than before to try to get through the legal the legal hops that were on the last time. The good thing about public sector loan forgiveness and the income-driven repayment forgiveness that you're seeing right now it was already set in place and everybody's done what they needed to do. It was law. 
So you can't, that's why it didn't matter that if it was in the cut or not, it was happening. The, these people had already done what they were supposed to do. They they signed the contract, they did the work, and now it's time for the government to hold up their end of the bargain. And that's what you have seen happen over the last few years. And the what I'm hearing is that the administration has just made it a priority to uphold the people, the government's end of the bargain, because the borrowers have done what they were required to do. I mean, I know I applied years ago when it came out. I, I was one of the first ones to, okay. I mean, if this, but you never think it's going to really happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I also wanted to get, this is kind of a pivot, your thoughts about is the Department of Ed recently rolled out um, a policy that said that and folks may not know this, but there's this huge group of people who attended university or college or higher ed or anyone that couldn't pay. So you're, you're saddled with student loan debt, but you may be saddled with a balance at that institution. Yeah. And what institutions would do, we always say this to students, if you can't pay, you can't stay. It doesn't matter if you have a 4.0. You can't pay, you can't stay, right? This is all about the people until you can't pay the bill. And so when a student couldn't pay, they couldn't come back to school. Then what would happen is the institution would yeah. put a hold on their account and on their transcripts. And so if you decided 10 years later, I want to go back to school to be a pharmacy tech, or I want to go get an HVAC license. You, The institution you applied would immediately put you in the National Student Clearinghouse, which connects all schools. And they would say, well, you know, you owe Acme University money, you, or you need to get transcripts from them. And they wouldn't give them to you until you paid them. And if you're poor, right, and many of us being brown, right, we couldn't get those transcripts. Now there has been, and and I need you to kind of explain this to us on what you know about this, but the Department of Ed has come in and said, you can no longer withhold transcripts from people. Talk about that new wrinkle in the system. And I know institutions are adopting it in different ways, but how that is gonna benefit people. Yeah, it definitely. I always felt that that was an unfair practice. I I thought that was pretty cruel to do to people, especially when they were trying to make a better way for their lives. And it's exactly what it's it's very simple, exactly what you just explained. The Department of Education is basically saying you can no longer do that. You you have to give people their their transcript. If you want to sue them for the amount or whatever it is that's left, that that's on you. But the transcript part you got to let it go. And so it's, it's very simple. And it's just another wrong that I believe the Department of Education is trying to make right, especially because they're dealing with institutions that are accepting government money. And that's what they <laughs> So if the government who gives you, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars tells you you can't do that, you're not going to, you can't do it. And, and it's not one institution on this earth that can survive without government money. It's not one. I don't care what private institution and what kind of, you know, endowment they have. Eventually, you will fail if you don't have government money, period. I don't care who you are. Uh, you can be an Ivy League with five, $20 billion. Eventually, you will fail without government money. Sure. Well, and the, the key is, is that that government money is the same money it's the people's money. There are exactly. there is no government without the people. And so then you take the people's money yeah. and then you handcuff the people, you accept them, 
Many times as a first-gen student, you and I do enough higher ed work. We know first-gen students go to a college or university and think, well, I can put some on it. You know, this isn't Burlington Co-Factory. Like, you have to have that balance paid by the time spring classes started. You can't enroll. And then the institutions will send that balance to collection. And they'll add 20%. Or they'll send it to the attorney general's office of the state, right? And then on top of that, they'll withhold your transcripts. And so then how am I supposed to make the money in this climate economically that I need to pay you back and to go to school if I don't have the ability to access education beyond high school. And so the Department of Ed, another wrong that they're writing is coming in and saying to the institution, if you take federal money, you can't withhold the transcript of these people. If you want to send them to collection, do whatever, do what you got to do, but you have to give them their transcript because you earned the grades. That's the thing, right? I mean, you did the work. How you going to keep my... So... And I see a lot of this as like educational justice work. And that's why I thought talking with you about this would be really important. I know that there's a lot of people, especially right now, that don't think that the government is doing anything for us, right? The government and the government and whoever's in office we complain about and we feel entitled to pay $2 for gas and all these things. How, how how are programs like this, the forgiveness program, the transcript availability, how is that, if it isn't benefiting us personally, how is benefiting others financially um, making a difference in our day-to-day lives, especially knowing economic things? So maybe because the first reaction I got from people when mine got forgiven, well, I wish it was mine, but how does helping me help someone else, right? Yeah. How does um, giving people access to their transcripts, it it is millions of people that can't go to college because they owe some school $1,000, right? How does that benefit the whole, all of us as Americans? Definitely. And and I, I was first before I, I talk about the benefit of it is to help people understand who say things like that. There is always something that benefits you. <laughs> I promise you that there is always something that benefits you. And, and to understand that just because someone else gets something doesn't mean that you are not benefiting from it. Everybody who got paycheck protection program, all those small business owners, they stayed in business. You're still going to get your small business coffee because they got a PPP basically ended up being a grant. So so just because it's student loans, understand that there are other government programs that people get that you might not benefit from, but it ends up benefiting you in a different way. So as far as the economics behind student loan forgiveness, it is it benefits everyone because people are able to move financially on financially with their lives. They're able, they have now, instead of paying a $300 a month student loan payment, they're using that money for small businesses. They are using that money to start their own business. They are using their money to be able to shop for furniture. They have been forgiven. Now they can get a mortgage. And what comes with a mortgage? Jobs for a construction (laughs) company, as well as money at Home Depot or Lowe's and then money for the electrician and money for the plumbing company and money for the small business owner that's around the corner that they're and then somebody's child is going to be added to your school system, which means you're going to bring more money into the school system for that child. It is beyond It, it, it spreads out like fire, mainly because we are a consumer driven economy. So 
unfortunately, <laughs> the money that we now have each month from not spending on student loans, we're just going to put it somewhere else unless we have the discipline to save it. And if we do, now that money goes into your bank. Let's say you don't spend it. It goes to your bank. Your bank uses it to give a business loan. Your bank uses it to give a commercial loan or you put it into the stock market and make the stock market grow, which makes you get more money in your 401k or your 403b. It is nonstop. Like I can go on forever. How <laughs> still loan forgiveness, you know, benefits everyone as an economy. Well, and the one thing we know is that trickle down economics don't work. We oh, do know that we we do know that bottom up always yeah. works. Yeah. That's is. what people are afraid of. They're afraid yeah. of the people joining together and realizing we have more in common than we have separates us, right? People often say, and we know because we're just starting 2024, that we have another big election year, right? And yeah. I, I don't want to be, well, I don't mind being political, but um, people love to say voting and politics don't really matter. But as you've talked about this, right, can you yeah. frame for us how elected officials have helped or have not helped, not just this forgiveness thing, but the high price of higher ed. How how does how have people's votes mattered and manifested in making some of these things a reality for them and for millions of other people? And how could we potentially go back to 2020, 2007 if people don't go out there and vote? Yeah. And, and it's very interesting because um, that was a campaign promise, student loan forgiveness. And you, you have seen what has happened. Like I said, hundreds of billions of dollars has come out in student loan forgiveness. And it was possible that it could have been about 400 billion more if the Supreme Court wouldn't have done what they done. So so the campaign promises were kept was also important in understanding that you're never voting for the White House. Yeah, you you kind of are. You're voting for everybody up under them. That that's what's important. And I will use one really good example, and that is the the HUD. So Secretary Fudge, uh, Marsha Fudge, is a prime example of the work that has been done. I mean, everybody else. There are other people. The EPA, you know, climate getting you know terrible industries out of poor neighborhoods and so forth. Like they've been working on that. Climate is another one, but HUD. She, when we're talking about student loan forgiveness, she made it that if you want to go get a mortgage, a federal back mortgage, your student loans are not going to count like they would if you went to a regular bank, like a commercial bank and got a different mortgage back. That's a big deal. Many people who have, stu have, have student loans can't get homes, can't get mortgages, even my best friend. Now, that's when it got on my radar. And so when she made this announcement that if you get a federally backed loan, we are not going to look at your student loan debt. That is a big deal. So it's things like that that people need to understand that politics always affects your money from the city level to the state level and to the federal level and even on the international level. And I won't even get into that. But a lot of things that are going on on an international situation right now. That's causing your your olive oil to be higher, causing your gas to be where it was is actually coming down now. All of that that happened in a whole different administration is just manifesting now and it's causing what you're seeing. If it would have been nailed down in the last one, you wouldn't have the gas prices that you've had 
over the last year that are now going down. You had the supply chain situation. It's, it's just a lot. So you have to be very, don't ever say your vote doesn't matter. That That's nonsense. Understand, and people want you to think that. They they want you to think that because they want you to stay in the same place. If, if you if you didn't vote a certain way, if the, if the vote last uh, election did not go the way they did, none of people that have student loan forgiveness right now would have it, period. And if it goes a different way in November, the student loan forgiveness will stop. There well, will and, and I always say, if your vote didn't matter, people wouldn't w- work so hard to suppress it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, just just like the two ways to build wealth in this country is through education and owning property. And those are the two areas that people have made it almost impossible, legally and otherwise, for black and brown poor folks not to have access to because I don't want them to build wealth because that threatens my wealth. Right. And so if your vote didn't matter people wouldn't have done January 6th. They wouldn't have tried to suppress the vote. We wouldn't have millions and millions and millions of dollars awarded to those sisters in Georgia who Mm -hmm. have had their lives threatened for doing their job as election workers, right? So your vote really does matter. One of the pieces um, that we talked about is this opportunity in the new year. We know it's about education. We know it's about property ownership. My daughter just bought another house in, oh. in here in Kentucky. When did she buy that? Yeah, it was last quarter. Um, but we know that the rates are have been a thing. So mm-hmm. talk about interest rates and the economy. And if this is a good time to buy a house, because what I've been hearing is that the Fed is going to come in and do some two or three or four rate reductions they're anticipating in 2024. So talk about property ownership and give us some advice on on that area. And when is a good time this year to start looking at buying a house? Yes. So definitely the Federal Reserve has said they're thinking about three rate cuts three rate cuts in 2024. With them saying that alone, that next day, mortgage rates went down to about 6.83%. They got out the eight, they got the seven, they went down back into the sixes. So the the market was happy about that. So knowing that if you're someone who's looking to, to buy a house, as those rates cuts come, the mortgage rates are going to come down. The problem that you still have is that many homes are still overpriced. They are severely overpriced. So you would have to make the decision if I'm okay with a lower interest rate, even though I'm overpaying for a home, or am I going to wait for some of these homes to go down in value, down down to their real prices, and then get into the everybody trying to come back into the market? It is a very slim, basically, you got, you got to really measure it the right way. I would tell anyone to make sure they get a real estate uh, agent that is not about pushing you into a house. They're actually talking like me in a way to say, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at what's going on with the Federal Reserve, with the interest rates and so forth, and the prices of homes in the area you're in. They're not trying to be greedy. And that's the kind of real estate agent you need to have. So before you move forward, but that is what I see in 2024. It is going to be quite a balance as a some a potential home buyer that you're going to have to look at. Well, and it is it's challenging because so many of us uh, of the folks who have owned three, four homes 
-hmm. we remember when rates were much higher than they were oh, yeah. Oh, when yeah. the rates are high. But the rates, when I, I bought my recent house, we were in at like two and a half. I mean, that's crazy, yeah. right? Um, but I think our first house, we were close to nine. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was in the late 90s. So yeah. it's this balancing act, and especially the shock of going, not only did you have issues with rates being high, you had issues of inventory being low. And then because yeah. of coming out of COVID, people were pricing their houses at the you know, everybody's going to bid for my house and I can charge you a hundred grand more than I paid for it. That kind of market. Um, what are some other things? So if people are saying, okay, this isn't the time for me to do the house thing. What are some other tips for at least first quarter, first half of 2024 that you can have, that you have of saving, investing, making some good financial decisions? Definitely. So for those of you especially who have received student loan forgiveness, think about whatever you used to pay each month in student loans and find a way to invest that money. Not not spend it, not you know, go on vacation with it, but be able to invest it. So you know, whether you have a 401k or 403b, whatever it may be, thinking about investing that money. And that's the same for anyone. Yeah, I, I really believe it's now it's time to not only get out of debt, like you definitely need to get out of debt, but if you have excess money, you need to be investing it for the future. They they are they are thinking that this year in 2024, I would tell I would tell you to find your financial advisor, but they're feeling that you we they're gonna see maybe a dip at the beginning, but then a recovery for the rest of the year, especially when the Federal Reserve starts cutting rates. They love that. And so you, you might want to start positioning yourself for that. If you have any other debt other than, you know, like you said, even um, student loans, if you still have it, pay that down. The more debt you get out of, out of your life, the less risk you have in your life. And that's what it's about. We don't want risk in our life and debt is risk. So that that's the other financial tip I would give people is to get as much debt out of your life and free up your money so it can do more for you and work for you. Mm. Well, and one of the great things I heard you say in one of your great lives, if you aren't following Janae on Instagram, on all her channels, we're going to put her stuff in here because she schools me. She doesn't know how much schooling she gives me, but she schools me because she was talking about if you, if you have a retirement plan, 401k, 403b, where I work, you have to put in a certain amount. My institution doubles that amount. Now, oh. in higher ed, that's unheard of. That's like unheard of. <laughs> I put in five, they put in 10. I mean, seriously, that's crazy, right? Yeah. That is free money, yeah. right? And all you have to do is save yours. And when I was young, I would always see that as, oh, it's such a burden. I'm going to put in the lowest possible. Talk about how important those kinds of 401k, 403b retirement programs with our employer and why when you're young, you should be putting as much money in there as possible. And, and definitely as, as, as much as you can, if they have a match, an employer match, you need to put it up into that match if you can. So if it's 3% that they'll match dollar for dollar, put the 3% in there. And then the rest of it, like you have, still have extra money, then you can open up your own you know, Roth IRA and IRA, those kind of things on your own and put the rest of the money that you have access there. But it's important to do it as young as you can because of compound interest is going to just continue to grow as you get older. And, and you just don't want to get to a point that 
you know, you're in your 70s and 80s because that's that's an article just came out that that is one of the generations that they say are reneging on their retirement. So they're coming back into the workforce. And depending on how you have taken care of your body all your life, that could be really hard at 78 years old coming back into the workforce. You, you, so I, that's why it's important to start doing the investing and saving money now so that when you get older, you can just enjoy life <laughs> as you go along. Yeah, I heard some data that said if somebody saves $100 mm-hmm. a month, invests it into a simple investment account, right? Yeah. If they invest $100 a month in their 20s, and yeah. stop investing after their twenties. That will compound to be like one point four million dollars. Yeah. In the most conservative you could be. I mean, so it's it's less about it's what I've learned from you and others is that it's less about the amount of money and it's mm-hmm. more about letting time work for you. Work for you, yeah. And yeah. so when you, when I was young and I'm twenty five and I'm like, well, I'll just cash out this retirement. Never do that. Just do it. <laughs> but I wasn't thinking, right? Exactly. And yeah. what I should have done is just let the money sit there. Yeah. Because over time, having now being in my 50s, I don't have as much time yeah. as I had when I was in my 20s. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is you talked about some of the promises that our politicians um, whether, you know, there's a face that's a politician sometimes, but it's always an administration. Right. Mm -hmm. The administration is the ones that you're hiring. You're not hiring that person. And oftentimes we've had administrations that take credit for stuff they haven't done. I would argue that our D's don't do a good job telling people the things they have done. Yeah. And saying, look at what we did for you. Look what we did. I mean, we had some stimulus checks go out during COVID and a joker wanted to sign them with his own pen like it was coming from his account. But then the D's don't tell. They don't stand up and say, hey, we're keeping our word. We're doing this. It's billions of what you've outlined. So and I think one of the reasons, one of the things that what I'm hearing from people is that all of the politicians and all of the economic people say the economy is better. It's rebounded. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the American people aren't, aren't feeling that. If yeah. you ask the American people, the economy is horrible. Right. So what are some of the reasons why people aren't feeling it? And what are some of the things that you think that is within our control? We know voting is within our control. But what are some things that we can do to feel it when we're buying groceries or dealing with childcare or some of the real things? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the things that hurt. People don't know how to get around them. So, you know, when you look at inflation, inflation is still there. It, I'll tell you this, it was 9% last year and now it's three. So it has gone down. So <laughs> you see that your eggs are back normal and so is your bacon. It's back down than it was before. But the way people need to do it and look at it to be able to say it's not as terrible is just knowing money strategies. So for example, grocery shopping. I tell people in order to beat inflation, you need to basically plan your meals around what meat is on sale, okay? If you're a vegetarian, you're not spending much money as somebody who eats meat. So if if beef is on sale for the week, 
that week you need to have hamburgers one day, you need to have meatloaf one day, you need to have hamburger helper one day, sandwich another day. And then the next week, if it's chicken, get the different pieces of chicken, fried chicken, baked chicken, uh, whatever, chicken dumplings, that that helps you beat that inflation because you're not going in there saying, I want this meal and this meal and this meal, and now your bill is $300. But you're going in there and you're looking at maybe $60 for the week and you got all your dinners and your leftovers for you and your family. It's, it's about being able to take your time. That's that's what we don't do in America. We are so rushed. And because we're rushed, we spend more money than we should. If you take the time and plan some things out, you will make much better financial decisions that can actually save you money. So a lot of people, and I would never disagree that you feel differently about this economy because what I tell people all the time, I learned this from marketplace money. The stock market is not the economy. It never has been and it never will be. People have their own personal economies. So you have to find ways to save money wherever you can. There is an app called Upside. Upside will give you money back with your gas, right? I just cashed out $10. <laughs> it takes nothing to get. So it's just those kind of things that I, and I understand people don't know these things. This is something I eat, sleep, and breathe on a daily basis. I know how to save money in every area of my life. But I, I believe if people plugged in, not just to me, but to other people, then guess what? You can find some other ways to save money too. Well, and I think we also have to be real about trauma. Mm -hmm. And Millions of people died and lost their lives in a global pandemic. We dealt with racialized violence at an all-time high. We've dealt yeah. with a whole campaign and uh, administration that was built on hate and othering and saying and doing hateful things and hurtful things to people. People are living in a space of fight or flight. Yeah. And so the fear is, I don't want to go back to that. So there is no money and they're going to take what I have. And the key is, as yeah. you're saying, slow down, yes. breathe, consult with experts like you, yeah. be in a space of letting more people in than shutting more people out yeah. and naming that this comes from a state of, we don't want to go back to 2020. Yeah, And I think that's where it comes from. When you have people who literally are saying that the economy is horrible, but the truth is people are, there's less people unemployed. Yeah. The, um, the inflation is down. Yeah. Right. I mean, wages yeah. Wages are up. Wages are, the amount of money that people are making for a job at Kroger or Publix or Target is unheard of in America. Yes. We have canceled student loan debt, even when interest rates are high on houses. The one my daughter bought, she wasn't above seven. That okay. is that is not crazy. Yeah. Right? And she she's buying the house to buy the next house. That's how we yeah. do it in the Smith yeah. house. So those kind of moves, it's but it's this feeling that I think comes from not talking about and being afraid of. And that's that's the last piece that you and I together will say yes and amen to, because you did a great job of talking about why voting matters. This is not the time to sit in your cave and to give in to hate. This is the time to be even more uncomfortable and say, okay, anything again, but what we did, not just in 2020, but what led to that. 
Yeah. Right. Because we are ripe for that again, because we have all these nerves on edge, because we want somebody to come in and just make us feel like it's going to be OK. But the truth is, it never was OK. Yeah. Now we know it all rests on us and we yeah. have all the power because we are the government, Janae. Yeah. That's yeah. why I have forgiven myself a long time ago. It was just good to get a letter to say I was forgiven. <laughs> Janae, thank you so much for sharing space and time and all your wisdom with us. Please let please let us know how can we get in contact with you. Give us your your socials, your website, all your things. Yes, yeah, so my website is probably the best place to go to is www.debtsucksuniversity.com, and then on Instagram, my name is Janae. It's spelled like Janet. Janae Adams speak. And that's on Instagram. That's probably the second best place to find me. Janae, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Appreciate all your time. Thank, thank you. For you. Having thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, visit his website, here adamspeak.com where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.